In addition to her orchestral and solo playing, Carol also teaches at Yale University. So we talk about her concepts of teaching and practicing, and end our conversation with Tubas for Good, an organization she founded to bring euphoniums and tubas to underfunded school arts programs. You also teach uh, at Yale. How long have you been at Yale now? Ten years now. Ten years. Okay. Yeah. Wow, a long time. Okay. And Yale, uh, one of my really good friends is Alan Dean, um, who taught at Yale for many, many years. And um, mm-hmm. one thing Alan has said about Yale is that Yale is, is not really like an orchestral excerpt type school, you know, that, that's, that students are, I'm not sure exactly what they would be interested in, but, <laughs> <laughs> but um, do you teach more solo repertory there or? Um... No, I would, I would agree with that assessment in that the coursework and the like the structure of um, the school isn't set up to be like churning out orchestral players. I think it's probably more chamber music oriented of of a degree, and it's all master's students first of all. Oh, really? Okay. Um, yeah, and so the it's a similar size school, like you know, regular small conservatory. It's about the size of an orchestra, slightly plus. Last I checked, I'm the only orchestral faculty member like all all of the uh other faculty are from chamber music groups um and so yeah brass quintet is if you go as a brass player to yale then you you do brass quintet at least twice a week um and you play you share the orchestra load with the rest of your colleagues and this it's not like they're doing orchestra concerts every week or every other week it's more like for a semester ish so it's not actually that much orchestral stuff but it's more like you know it's any master's performance degree is going to be more like an independent study like you know you're there to learn stuff while you're auditioning places and everything do you think do you think that the students there though since it is more oriented towards chamber music have a slightly different mentality i mean first of all yale i mean the academic level must be extremely high just to get into Yale, I would think. It's not necessarily as high as you might think. Hmm, okay. <laughs> we like a lot of dummies in there, but like, um, but yeah, it's not, uh, it's not required to have like a perfect GPA or anything. Uh-huh. You just need to not have like red flags, yeah. basically. I don't know. I still get the sense working with the brass players anyway, that they're all still pretty like, focused on, you know, winning whatever job they can, whether it's, you know, a military band job or an orchestral job. But, like, most of them are going for the same stuff everybody's going for. And and have you taught other places, too, or, or mainly just Yale? Um, I, I was at Curtis for a minute, and uh, I am technically on the roster at Temple University. Oh, I haven't taken a student there oh, okay. in a long time. Okay, so basically it's Yale then. And, and you go... Yes. Like every other week or every week or ish, yeah, ish. yeah. Okay. It's a four-hour commute each way. Oh, you're so kidding! Oh, it's a commitment. Tough. Okay, with, with train <laughs> or with car? The train. Yeah. When yeah, except for during COVID, they weren't letting me, or during the the height of the pandemic, I wasn't allowed to take public transit, and that was it made it harder. But now Zoom lessons have become more commonplace which helps with my commute significantly. Yeah, I would think. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And I would think it would be difficult if you had a really tough week with the orchestra 
how, how to make that work or whatever. Yeah, like so if I want to practice on a Yale day, I have to get up super early and like get in my practicing before I go because then I have a four-hour commute and then I teach for like five hours and then four hours back. So then I'm getting home. Like I don't have the energy when I get home to practice. But I keep a horn up there, so sometimes I can practice there too. Speaking of practicing, I forgot to ask you, but when you were a student at, at Michigan and you were starting to take these auditions and everything, how much were you practicing a day then? Um, I always felt like I could get a lot done in not too long a time. Um, it depends on what's coming up, obviously, but like it would be two and a half hours was pretty standard and like you know, three, if something's coming up, like more than that, I couldn't, like, I don't know. I, I never found that I could focus very well much past three hours in a day that like, for me, I'm just so goal oriented that I want to, I want to really have my head in the game for every minute that I'm practicing. And so like, if I lose focus, like, I'm sure there were plenty of days where I did like four hours just because I had so much to get through. But um, especially when you're training for something like um, Mark Neukirchen, the competition where I had like nine full solo pieces to do. Okay. Um, <laughs> it was like two recitals at once. So I'm sure I was practicing four hours a day at that point. But I I still feel this way that like quality is so much more important than quantity. Because um, that the 10,000 hour rule like doesn't account for like the quality of practice. If you practice 10,000 hours doing something poorly, you're going to be really good at doing it poorly. Right. 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 <laughs> so yeah, I always just want to be very mindful as I'm playing and like, I want to get in there, accomplish what I want to, and then go live my life. Yeah. I, I read a book. Uh, uh, it was, I forget the name of the book now, but it was by Rick Pitino, a basketball coach. And I guess since I, since he wrote this book, I think there's been a number of scandals in his life and I forget what they were. But anyway, in this book, one of the things he said was practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. And, and that really, that's one of the things I really took away from that book, you know, is to, to make your practice as, as good as you, as you possibly can. I remember hearing that Bjorn Borg, when he would play his practice matches uh, or play in practice, he practiced just like he was in the final at Wimbledon. And then when he was at the final at Wimbledon, it was just like a practice. Right. So, well, in addition to everything else, you're also an entrepreneur. And you have this uh, one uh, organization that's called tubasforgood.com. Uh, it's, yeah, Tubas for Good. It's a charity. And could you just talk about that briefly or... Because it sounds great. It sounds wonderful. No, it's uh, it's been pretty stagnant since the pandemic. Um, we're hoping to be able to sort of relaunch in the fall. But essentially, um, we're, we have a set of instruments for uh, students in the Philadelphia schools to play. Um, I, I had found out um, from friends of mine who are teaching brass in Philadelphia schools, like how how kind of piecemeal the the music education is in the city. Like I grew up in the suburbs, right? The, like this Ohio suburbs where it was just like a given that you had band class starting in fifth grade. And um, 
is very much taken for granted because like most schools in the city of Philadelphia and most big cities in our country like don't have music programs or like only have piecemeal things so like a lot of my friends who are teaching in the Philadelphia schools they see these students once a week for like group lessons it's unfortunate because um yeah a lot of implications about like where that leads in terms of uh inequality and everything but anyway so i was talking with one of these um teacher friends and i was trying to make conversation and i was just sort of like do you have any good tuba students this year and and he just like looked at me with this puzzled look on his face he's like what do you mean i don't have any tubas how am i supposed to have any tuba students and i was like what how are you teaching for a brass program without tubas um i just i couldn't believe it um and uh that sort of like planted a seed in my brain and later on i got some inheritance money from my grandparents and uh, i was like you know i don't need this money because i've had a really good paying job since i was 21 um so why don't I pay it forward? And that became the seed money for the nonprofit. And so I started buying instruments. And now we have a catalog of, I think, 26 instruments. Wow, um, that's a lot. Uh, they're mostly plastic euphoniums at this point because we found out the second year that, like, even if schools did have, like, euphoniums to start, we're, you know, talking middle schoolers mostly, starting kids on euphonium, even if their school did have one, they didn't want to have to lug it back and forth from school. So if they had a plastic one that like would either be lighter or like they could have one at home and one at school, then they were a lot more likely to take up the instrument. Hmm. So I bought a round of 21 plastic euphoniums for that. That's great. And it sounds like it's been, even though you, it's maybe a little bit stagnant right now, it sounds like it's been a real success. No, it's cool. Like, you know, when we were really getting our feet off the ground, like getting these videos of, you know, sixth graders playing their like brightly colored euphoniums is just like such a joy. Um, but yeah, like nobody wanted to do music lessons over zoom like they already had all of their school over zoom and like adding another hour at the end of their day to, to have music over it just you can't do ensembles over zoom it's like it was just a huge bummer so we lost a lot of students yeah well, yeah well good luck with that in the future thanks and do you have other future projects that you're thinking of doing taking on any new commissions <laughs> um, or <laughs> the biggest project that I'm yeah, working well, yeah, on is yeah. cooking up a baby. <laughs> yes, that's right. So July the twenty, <laughs> July the twenty seventh, right? You said that's my due date. Yeah. Okay. And girl or boy? Um, it's a girl. Okay. I'm really excited. Do you have a name? Um, yes, but it's a secret. Okay. Tony. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm crying. <laughs> no. I, yeah. I I just want to take some time next year to just do. <laughs> I guess two of my jobs <laughs> and, you know, just the, the Yale and the orchestra, um, jobs so that, uh, I can get used to what it's like having a kid and doing those things before I do too many more side projects yeah. for the time being. Yeah, having a kid sure takes time. Yeah. <laughs> I've been told. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. It's <laughs> true. Well, boy, I appreciate you talking to me today. This is really great. My pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Always great to chat with you. <laughs> 